This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, it is 6 o'clock. It's a Thursday, it's the 11th of August, and of course, you're listening to The Morning Run. And I'm Wong Shaoning, the Auntie Wong is back in town. Yeah, Auntie's back. Yeah, Auntie's back. And Keith Kam, uncle, is also back. Uh, we are here to keep you company until 9 30 a.m. By the way, I'm not an Auntie, that's just what they claim I am. <laughs> Yay for diversity, though. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, but uh, it's Thursday, so it's a rather packed day. We have lots of interesting stories for you. Uh, at 7 o'clock, actually, we want to talk about this. Uh, we're going to have a World Market Watch, as we always do. But this time, it's interesting because US data came out and inflation, I'm giving the plot away, mm. but inflation is better than expected. So Slightly, though, actually. But it's still, it's still... Slightly, still cooler than expected. So markets rejoicing. Mm. Uh, US markets all rallied last night. So we're going to ask Vishnu Varathan what's going to be happening in terms of whether the Fed is still going to be as hawkish as they were originally planning to be. And then at 7.15, I don't know whether anybody's noticed that lots of transportation uh, law amendments and the latest federal court ruling. We're going to discuss that with Dr. Rosli Azadon. He's a transport consultant at 7.30. What's happening, Keith? Oh, so exciting. This this is something that's been happening. We've been uh, following it uh, on the news team as well as uh, we've been discussing it yesterday as well. Uh, former US President Donald Trump, uh, he his Florida club residence, the Mar-a-Lago, was raided by a large group of FBI agents. Um, and then Robert uh, Robert Shapiro, a professor of government at, the, at Columbia University, he's going to join us at uh, 7.30 to talk about uh, you know why this is happening, um, what the repercussions are. I'm excited for this, to be honest. Yeah, against the backdrop of midterm elections coming up very mm. soon in November. And, and you know how vocal uh, Trump is uh, and well, his supporters. Well, he, is, he, is he allowed back in Twitter? I can't even remember. No, I no, don't, no, he's not, not yet, right? He's not, but he has his own um, Twitter-ish type uh, does anybody, network. It's does anybody follow Truth, it? Truth Social. I do, actually, because... You signed up? I signed up for it. Uh, in, in fact, um, one, one thing interesting was that uh, after the election, I actually signed mm. up for the uh, Donald Trump, uh, support Donald Trump, Save America uh, newsletter, they keep bombarding me with uh, with emails asking me to donate. And uh, what was interesting was like as almost as soon as 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 he announced that he was raided, his his uh, home mm. was raided. Uh, an email came out to say that you know I need to contribute to save America again. Again, it's all about money, isn't it? At the end I, of the day, it's um, which yeah. is very related to our conversation at seven forty five because we're going to be talking about political <laughs> funding bill in Malaysia with. Uh, Trisha Yeo, who's of course the CEO of the Think Tank Ideas. So it looks like money money is it, politics and money are just hand in hand no matter where they are, right? Whether it's the US It's a new money-making money business. Eh, I guess so. <laughs> uh, but up next is some messages. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. And that was Wild by Beach House. Maybe some of you are planning to do that exactly this weekend. Go to a beach house and be wild. But it's 6.08. Thursday, the 11th of August and you're listening to The Morning Run with Keith Kam and I'm Wong Xiaoning. Now, at this time of the morning, we always look through all the interesting stories that caught our eye and Keith Kam chose this story, didn't you, Keith? Yeah. Because I, it resonates very closely to your heart, doesn't it? It does. It does, really. I, I mean, we're going to talk about oil prices. But not the oil that you and I, <laughs> that we normally talk about on the morning run, which is the kind that comes from fossil fuels that we put into our cars. This is a different kind of oil 
which we probably all enjoy eating mm. and uh, has gone up tremendously in price. And it's it's actually coming from a BBC article. Right. And it's entitled, oil, Olive Oil Prices Could Rise 25% As Heat Wave Hits Production. One thing interesting about olive oil, I didn't realise just how... Um, uh, how widely used it, it, it is because during uh, doing some reading before um, getting into this article uh, did you know that it's mentioned in all three well no, in, in mentioned in at least three religious scriptures like oh, so several it's an times. ancient oil it is so the Quran the Bible the Torah they all mention it so you know that's probably why it's so widespread anyway it's uh, also found in the Mediterranean and Arab countries right probably yeah, that's why that's probably why so um, yeah so this this company is called uh, Asesur which which is um, which is one of Spain's largest edible oil companies, and also a little bit of trivia here because Spain produces fifty uh, percent of the world's uh, olive oil. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Seventy five percent, seventy seventy five percent of what Europe uses, um, one point four million tons of olive oil. That's how much they produced last year. Uh, they are now just expecting about one point four uh, one million tons for for this season. Um, very likely due to climate change because as we all uh, have been reading in the past couple of weeks or a couple of months or so, there's been a heat wave in southern Europe and uh, um, according to the report as well, it's not so much the heat wave because these uh, olive plants, they can actually tahan the kind of heat that, it, that they get. Mm. What they couldn't handle was the fact that there was a lot less rainfall and that's, what co- that's what's causing these olive trees to uh, reduce their, their production of uh, olive fruits. Okay. Mm. So actually, I think this is also driven by the backdrop of uh, the vegetable or edible oil market. So let's call it the edible oil market. That's the right term. So you see prices of that across the board going up. Very much driven by the war in Ukraine because Ukraine is actually one of the major uh, producers of sunflower oil in the world. Ukraine and Russia. Yeah. Russia's uh, sanctions there. So. So, you know, none of this is coming out of that area. And then that, of course, caused uh, CPO prices, crude palm oil prices to go up to, to hit a high of close to 7,000 although this morning it's only 4,168 um, ringgit per metric ton so the edible f- and soya bean also went up you know there was also uh, some sort of climate change affecting crops in the US and in South America so it was almost the perfect storm for the edible oil market uh, and even prior to this olive oil prices I noticed even at the shops had gone up a lot so now you're saying basically right it's that gonna go up, go even, up more. even more so what does this mean for the consumer but to be fair olive oil is a premium oil people it is. don't use it regularly I guess the more in terms of how it impacts uh, the ordinary consumer we got to keep our eye on soybean on uh, and palm oil I, I'm curious though that uh, that palm oil prices aren't really going up as as quickly as um, you know the the shortage of other edible oils seem to suggest um, I'm just wondering what 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 that what the issue is around that uh, well it went up to 7000 uh, ringgit per metric tons very much driven by Indonesia coming out with uh, policies whereby they stopped exporting uh, palm oil out of their country you could only do it if it was processed okay? because mm-hmm. they wanted to capture that, that additional revenue moving up the value chain then they changed their minds and then suddenly palm oil prices dropped again but also because production has been quite good in the last few months uh, the weather patterns actually have been in our favour so production has been all time high even in Indonesia and Malaysia which has caused prices to come down there's also demand destruction because for us Malaysia uh, China and India are the two biggest markets for palm oil. And we know China, a bit of a slowdown because of the zero COVID policy. But I think the dynamics in the olive oil market are slightly different because it is premium, premium, right? People don't use it to deep fry. 
Generally also because the smoke point is lower. Ah, yeah. see, we're definitely foodies here. <laughs> All aunties, yeah. All aunties. <laughs> but the point is, how then do, how should consumers behave when they go to the shops? You know, how much of this is really impacting the way we live and maybe do, are we making then adjustments when we buy something? So if let's say you're Italian and Spanish, right? You just normally would reach out to that bottle of olive oil to cook your pasta, to make your sauces, to saute your vegetables. I wonder whether consumers there have been forced to shift. Yeah, no more um, Jamie Oliver style drizzling olive oil on your salad and pasta once you're ready to serve it. Yeah, or maybe <laughs> very, very like little bit, little bit drops rather than like glucks, right, which we used to see. Maybe not the premium extra virgin olive oil. People downtrend. Yeah, possible why not yeah let us know what you think have you noticed whether olive oil in your supermarket has gone up a lot um do you have you had to make a switch uh you can whatsapp in uh at 018-789-8899 of course you can tweet in also our handle is at bfm radio we'll be back after some messages keep it here bfm 89.9 bfm 89.9 and that was wild blue by john mayer is 620 thursday the 11th of August. And of course, you're listening to The Morning Run. In front of me is Keith Kam and I'm Wong Xiaoning. Now, up next is this interesting article picked by our intern, Bernard. And it's entitled, it's from the Financial Times. It's entitled, Rich and Poor Should Mingle More. And I found the headline uh, interesting, which is why I clicked on it, I read about it. And you know what? This reminds me that the world isn't so different, even though you're talking about US... UK or here, even in Malaysia. So new research suggests that children from low-income families who are friends with wealthier peers will earn more in life. And this is on the back of uh, quite a hefty research coming out of Harvard University from this professor of public economics, Raj Chetty. He published two papers in Nature, uh, which is a magazine demonstrating that children from low-income families who have lots of friends from high-income families are themselves more likely to earn higher income later in life. And the analysis points to the importance of economic connectedness. In short, having rich friends is a valuable early rung on the economic ladder. That's the, that, that's the, the interesting thing about it. I mean, um, anecdotally as, as well, um, what, I've, what I've observed, I mean, I've uh, at at my age I've I've been to uh, when I was in school uh, there was really long long time ago a very long time. yeah actually <laughs> it really was a very long time ago um, in in school we never really saw not only um, the difference between uh, classes we never even saw the differences between uh, uh, the race and religion in 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 school um, I I was fortunate enough to grow up in a time when it was. Uh, the education system was trans- transi- transitioning from uh, English to to Bahasa mm. Malaysia or Bahasa Melayu, whatever you want to call it today. But uh, the, the thing and the thing is, uh, our teachers were not able to uh, teach entirely in Malay, but uh, they could teach in English while we studied books in in Malay, mm. and that made us all very very bilingual. And that's one um, one asset that I really really value. Uh, looking at how the education system is today, and over time. Um, not surprisingly, people do get uh, better off economically. Some do, some don't. And I think that's where the system starts to fail us because uh, with better, with, with better, um, with a better position in life economically, you obviously want uh, better things for your for your children, and that usually comes with uh, how much you can afford in terms of the education you can give them. Mm. And 
to meet that demand. We've got private schools now. Yeah. So um, it's an observation, and we're not here to criticize mm. whether you know whether you want to send your kids to private school, government school, Chinese school. Not at all. We're just basically looking at what is presented to us in terms of the data. And there are some takeaways from this, and one of which is you're right. I think you know I look back at my primary school education, and I would admit I'm privileged. I was sent to study overseas very young, twelve years old. Off I went into the worldwide, you know, and but I remember primary school being. I look at it very fondly, and you're right. It was a it was a like almost a golden period, right? Where um, because there wasn't this private school phenomenon so much. Uh, I went to school in my class. We were just kids. We were just kids literally growing up together and not considering so much our backgrounds, where we came from, where we stayed, what's, what language we spoke at home. We all just had fun. And we, we generally, I remember, spoke a lot of English, a lot playing games. I, I have and to... I wonder whether that is lost today because, I, I you know, and, and in a way, does that then foster or lack, doesn't foster then a, a national identity? I, I want to share something with you, Shani. I mean, one, one thing that's interesting is that uh, you've been overseas to, to study. Mm. Um, I didn't study overseas. I did my whole education from primary to, to tertiary. I went to a local university. Uh, I even was at a, at, a, at a local boarding school for one year mm. for my matriculation. Uh, going from a day school to a boarding school was a real culture shock for me because I, I went from a, from a, a, a government school um, which where we didn't see uh, race and religion to uh, to a to a matriculation boarding school where the the religious divide the racial religious divide was just so stark was uh, very was, apparent was very stark it was very apparent mm-hmm. uh, and then over to local university where it was even more apparent okay. and those were like really really shocking to me to see this is what Malaysia seems to be turning out to be at that time. Well, how do we break down all these barriers then? How do we get back this national identity? Because clearly, if you have friends from all f- walks of life, it rich- enriches your life uh, both ways, up and down. Mm-hmm. Uh, but up next, we've got the 6.30am news bulletin and to take us out is beginning to see the light by Velvet Underground. Keep here, BFM 89.9. And that Chillax song was by Crystallized by the double X or is it XX? I'm not really sure. It is 6 <laughs> 40 uh thursday the 11th of august and of course you're listening to the morning run uh in front of me is keith kam and i'm wong xiaoning now at this time of the morning we look through all the international headlines be it the portals bloomberg newspapers whatever catches our eye keith do you want to start yeah this one caught caught my eye mainly because uh, we seem to be coming out of the pandemic uh in mm. fact to digress i just got my uh second booster uh, over the weekend no pain at all. Um, and I mean, if it's your time, just just go get it. Uh, yeah, because the booster uh, take-up rate, second booster take-up rate is actually quite low. Yeah, it is quite low. Mm. Um, I, I mean, most people are not even testing anymore. So that concern seems to be like slowing down a little bit. But uh, I have elderly parents and that's one of the reasons why I am compelled to take it. Um, anyway... Um, Coming back to this this story, uh, in China, researchers from China, Singapore and Australia, they, they've just published their findings in the New England Journal of Medicine. They are now tracking a new animal-derived virus in the eastern part of China that has infected so far about uh, several dozen people. Uh, they call it the, it's got a name already, it's called the Nov- Novel Langya Hennepa virus. In okay. short, it's the Lei V. 
Lay V. Yeah, Lay as in the potato crisps and uh, V at the end. Okay. Um, and it was uh, found in about 35 patients in Shandong and Henan province. Many had symptoms like fever, fatigue and uh, cough. Oh Sounds my. really familiar Dot, 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 deja vu, please. Yeah. Okay. So um, they, they found that, uh, they believe that, that, that these people contracted the virus from animals. Uh, this time, uh, shrews, which are the not so cute version of uh, mice. <laughs> okay, I'm just shaking my head. I mean, seriously, this is... Okay, let's hope that the scientists now are working on it, trying to contain it. We understand it a little bit better because uh, honestly, I could, I ca- cannot deal with COVID part two. I cannot, but um, but and the I, world I can't deal with COVID I part two. I don't think so, but I, I think, I think the fact that we've seen COVID and the devastating impact that it has had, uh, everybody's guard uh, should be up. Yeah, and, I mean, we are really mm. dealing with monkeypox, right? Yeah. So we don't need Levy to add to that. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's not a coronavirus. It's a mm. Hannibal virus. Not that it's uh, any better. Uh, I mean. We still have yet to understand it a, a uh, bit more. Okay, so that was a cheerful <laughs> Keith. Um, I move on to a story coming out of Bloomberg, and China says Taiwan military drills are over. It now just plans regular patrols. Uh, so I think this is on the back of, of course, China. We talked about this yesterday. Mm. On the show, they've uh, 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 they actually issued a white paper as well, uh, and it seems that they have uh, we, uh, they've they've changed their stance on China just a little bit. So in the event that it, you know, if they actually take over China, uh, initially they had, the, the offer was that they would not have any troops stationed on the island. But in this new, latest military white paper that they that they released yesterday, um, they had withdrawn that offer, and uh, they would likely be stationing troops on on Taiwan. If that happens, watch this space. I think it's never ending, right? Uh, meanwhile, I'm looking at some business news coming out of the Guardian. Elon Musk actually announced that he, or he revealed on Tuesday, that he had sold 6.9 billion US dollars worth of his Tesla stock in case he loses his attempt to walk away from that 44 billion takeover of Twitter. So Twitter is suing Musk in Delaware over his abandonment of the deal and wants to make him buy the company. So Musk in a countersuit puts his side of the argument saying that Twitter had misled investors. You know, it was all these bots going on, right? Uh, so we'll be watching this space because, you know, you can never get Elon Musk out of the headlines ever, ever. He, does this mean that he's a lot less confident about winning the, the, the suit though? Uh, or maybe he's just smart because he knew his Tesla shares might collapse on the back of this, right? So he's just basically cashing in his chips at the moment. Well, we will see. Just prepare first. Lah. Just prepare first, right? You never really know what's happening. Meanwhile, staying on actually China, China has actually come out to say that inflation is going to be a bit of an issue because it's uh, consumer inflation has reached a two-year high as pork prices actually dare surge. So they accelerated in July to the highest level in two years, like I say. So it rose 2.7% last month from a year earlier as pork prices there surged 20.2%. Wow, olive oil prices and pork prices. What are you going to eat? Uh, air, fresh air and sunshine. <laughs> but guess what? Even air is dirty. So I'm not sure how good it is for you. Uh, but that's all the international headlines we have for you. We'll come back with some local headlines, uh, but keep it here, BFM 89.9. And that was Dreaming by Orchestra Maneuvers in the Dark, which is a super cool English electronic band formed in 1978. This brings me back to my school days, to be You honest. keep telling people how old we are, Keith. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, but they have. I, I, I grew up in a period where the music was the best, the eighties. Um, there was an in- electronic feel to everything, right? Culture club, uh, human league. Look, I, I'm just, I'm just so happy. People are, yeah, I'm just so happy people are, are discovering Kate Bush today. I know she's running up the hill, literally I running up like, the hill, yeah, running I'm, up those charts and, and staying strong. Everything she's ever released. <laughs> okay, uh, but as usual, we are looking at the local stories that have caught our eye. Um, Literal combat ships. I think that's pretty much just dominating that's, one headline after another. That's literally it, actually. <laughs> okay, so keep status <laughs> off, please. So, yeah, that's on the star, the Utusan Malaysia, Malaysia Sina Harian. Uh, basically, Prime Minister Dato Sri Ismail Sabri Yaakob is saying that his cabinet is asking the has asked the MACC to speed up its investigation into the literal combat ship project. And um, there are also plans to declassify the 2019 forensic report on the project, but only after the Attorney General and Auditor General have have cleared it because um, there are um, obviously some national security issues to be to be worried about. Um, what caught my eye was uh, Sina Harian's headline, um, uh, quoting uh, Ismail Sabri as saying, "Saya jamin tiada siapa akan dilindungi." He's He's uh, guaranteeing that no one's going to be protected. Um, so far, the names that have been implicated in this uh, include the former Prime Minister Dato Sri Najib Razak. Who the defense it, minister, of course, the um, ex defense minister. Sahih? Yeah, but um, yeah, uh, the ex defense minister, the ex uh, um, and and the ex uh, home minister, uh, Datuk Sri Zahid Hamidi, mm. uh, and Hisham Mudin as well. Okay, and mm. I'm also curious whether the company BNS, right, which Boston is Naval Shipyard, yeah, whether yeah. anyone from there will be accountable. It it'll be very interesting to 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 watch. I mean, it is a lot of money. Uh, only only six billion paid for already with no ships or uh, in. Uh, delivered to the Malaysian Navy. Yeah, and, and, and Bowsted got the 9.1 billion ringgit contract for this. Let's see. <laughs> I really would like to see, um, you know, people being brought to task for this because there's no point having a, a very thorough investigation. And kudos to the team at the PAC, yeah. which is uh, headed by Wong Kar Wall. You can hear that conversation on our BFM app and on, of course, on our website. We did speak to him about this LCS uh, issue. And there are many, many lessons to be learned with regards to how government procures and tenders and also just whether we should we should keep a real close eye in terms of progress payments. We shouldn't be paying for things which aren't going to be delivered. It, it looked like as if nobody was watching it. It didn't matter. And the mess just grew and grew and grew from 2011. And then suddenly there was an AG report in 2019. Over the eight years, what happened? My, my concern is that the AG report, the AG's report just keeps coming out with all these suggestions and, and highlighting all these issues. But they keep coming out every year with, uh, with, with similar or not, or not bigger uh, uh, causes of, uh, cases of concern. What are we doing about it? What lessons have we learned, right? There's no point if we just, you know, look at these auditor reports and then just toss them aside. Now, there's also a headline coming out of... Well, it's not a headline. It's kind of a hidden story uh, in Malaysia Kini and it's Amno should retire all horses to win GE15 race. I think it's and not just Amno to be honest. Yeah, I think, okay. yeah. It's everybody. <laughs> so this is Johor Amno Deputy Chairperson No Jaslan Mohammed. He used the analogy to describe a group of Amno elected reps who have been holding on to their seats for several terms, but are no longer dedicated to AMNO or BN. Yeah, uh, I, I want to bring a couple of stories uh, to 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 the to the front as well. Uh, the, these came out like uh, kind of late last night. One is uh, uh, the Hatta doctor contract. They tweeted a circular from uh, the health ministry. I actually got the, the that that circular uh, from a friend who's working at the hospital. They are banning food de- deliveries from outside, so people who 
patients and staff who work uh, in the hospital are no longer allowed to order food from, you know, Food Panda, McDonald's or what have you to, to be delivered to the hospital. The, the reasoning behind it is that uh, the, cafeteria, the hospital cafeteria pr- provides food for patients, obviously, and, mm. and for on-call staff as well. Uh, and, and of late, they have been, they've been discovering that a lot of this, uh, the food that they've been preparing... Mm. Will not, will not even, oh, it goes to waste. goes to waste, not even touched. Okay. So this is to, to prevent that. Uh, the other issue is the uh, Bernama suing its Mandarin news presenter, Sydney Yap, for defamation because she complained on Facebook about pay cuts and other internal political, political issues within the news organisation. Wow. We'll be following all those stories as they evolve. But up next, of course, we've got the 7am news bulletin. And to take us there is Twisting the Night Away by Sam Cook. Keep it here. BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.